How would you like to spend less time on payroll? How would you like to improve your client experience? How would you like to be a hero to your clients' understaffed HR and IT functions? How would you like to get your clients' discounts on apps like Slack, Zoom, or Dropbox? How would you like a $100 Amazon gift card? Stay tuned to learn more from our sponsor, Rippling, later in the episode. Oh, I need to put on Do Not Disturb. Let me get my phone, too. This is like that uh, NPR Daily Podcast. They always have some fake, fake comment, and then they start into the news. Do you think it's fake? I like I to think know. it's real. It could be real, but <laughs> to have it happen every single day on every yeah. episode feels staged. <laughs> Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And it is Friday, October 22nd. Man, it's been a busy week. We were at Sweet World. Last time I saw you was like 7 p.m. on Wednesday. So it's been like barely 30 hours since we saw each other face-to-face at the airport. And in that time, we recorded five bonus interview episodes that are going to be going out on the feed at some point after this episode. Lots of great stuff from Sweet World. And for those who are thinking, what the heck is Sweet World? We should probably tell you a little bit about that. It is the Oracle NetSuite conference. They put it on annually for their users, their partners, their developers, and everybody gets together in Las Vegas. Think of it like a QuickBooks Connect or a ZeroCon, but for bigger companies. Uh, Companies like School of Rock, or not-for-profits like March of Dimes. And we got to interview the CFOs from both of those organizations. That was really special. And so these are, you know, companies that we sometimes call mid-market companies, bigger companies in the tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of revenue, maybe hundreds of employees, up to a thousand perhaps. And all shapes and sizes, right? Like, because for example, that furniture company, Lovesack, was there. Lovesack was featured. And even though they're like 25 years old now, I think the, their founder, we talked to him for about 10 and a half seconds, they are a half a billion dollar company now, revenue-wise. And they started on NetSuite, I think, and they've grown. So they're a good example of a company that's scaled up. And that's what we NetSuite- We also mm-hmm. uh, met the other guy with the Frisbee, uh, d- disc golf, right? He, oh, he yeah, had there 65 was 65 a... employees making Frisbees or disc, you know, disc yeah. golf discs. I don't remember his name, but they also, they were with NetSuite when it was called NetLedger, when it was just a tiny cloud accounting app. This is a fun thing about NetSuite that people don't realize. It was one of the first, if not the first cloud-based accounting ledger in the United States. It started... Well, let's not say too much. They have to listen to the interview. <laughs> right? well, I, I, don't tell this what we actually get in the interview. Uh, then right? This is a sneak peek, right? So okay, sneak peek. I got I to gotta promote the interview, right? We got to interview Evan Goldberg, the founder of NetSuite. And he still runs the company. Now that they're part of Oracle, they were acquired by Oracle. He is still in charge and he's it's his baby and he's been doing it for 20 years and he's still doing it and he's on a mission to build one app to run your whole business and do it from startup all the way. Just a few more numbers to put this in context. NetSuite has 27,000 businesses using it, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is actually when you consider how big these companies are. So it's a significant chunk of that mid-market, which 
you know, that's anywhere from 40,000 businesses to 200,000, depending on how you count it. But any well, either like way. Businesses would come and they would bring their team. They'd bring their whole yeah. internal controller team or their finance yeah. team. Yeah. I'm no expert in mid-market ERP. Like, you know, David, you and I are in the zero on the QuickBooks world most of the time. But well, I was I, a fish out of water for sure. <laughs> well, so I've gotten to know it a little bit over the last few years because I worked at Flowcast and then Giraffe and we had NetSuite integrations and a lot of our customers were on NetSuite. So that's how I got to know this ERP, enterprise resource uh, planning software world. That's sometimes what they refer to it as. It's, it's a very interesting area to play in. It's not one that our community tends to be familiar with because NetSuite is expensive, to be frank. It's, you can't even get a price on the website, so you know it's going to be expensive, right? Custom quote. A lot of these companies are paying tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for it. It, it is very valuable for them, but kind of out of reach for a lot of small businesses and for accounting firms. And they haven't really had an accounting firms program. The cool thing is that they are growing one. They are committed to growing one. And because of that, we got to see some of our friends at Sweet World, which I've never seen before. Kenji Kuramoto was there from Acuity and Trevor McCandless from Fusion CPA. And uh, uh, we saw Jeannie Whitehouse there as well. So a small core that I hope expands. It would be great to see more accounting firms at uh, Sweet World in the future. But, I mean, and- we did, there were accounting firms. There were some accounting firms that had booths there. Um, County was there. County, um, yes, they were. They're one of the original uh, firms that have like standardized not on QuickBooks or Zero, but on NetSuite. Exactly. That's what I was just going to follow up with. Yeah. Uh, uh, Escalon supports anything, but they tend to be heavy in uh, NetSuite as well. But it's I, the big thing I think, if I like, think about the learnings I had there, I think there was like three three takeaways. One was it feels like if your client takes VC money or private equity money, they pretty much have to switch to NetSuite. There's no written law that says they need to, and everybody says the VCs and the private equity firms don't enforce it, but somewhere along the line, like that's what happens. And and there was a stat there that was cited on the keynote stage where 64% of tech IPOs this year happened on NetSuite. So yeah, like firms that cater to startups like Countsy and Escalon, they use NetSuite as their their platform of choice because that's what they've got to be on to, to raise money, go public, grow really fast, right? Yeah, and I think that's the the other part of this that was big uh, aha moment for me was there's companies or that eventually, so maybe right now a company is with an accounting firm or a bookkeeping firm that's ha- just handling them just fine on QuickBooks or Zero, And you grow that firm to a point where they're big enough to now Go get VC money. Are they big enough so they get bought by private equity? If you can't support Intact, you just lose the client. And I feel like there's a, a did you dilemma say, here. Did you right? say Intact? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, it's, uh, hey, that brings up a good point, which is that that is their major competitor in the cloud ERP space. And we're going to be going to that conference too next month. So we're yeah, going to get no. to compare Sage Intact and Oracle NetSuite. But it's kind of a similar dilemma, right? Because now if you don't have somebody on staff to support this, it's really hard for you to keep that client. And then we, we went to that partners, uh, we went to a partners mixer for, some, for partners drink. So we met, for lack of better terms, the pro-advisor community of NetSuite, 
right. they call it their like developer partner community because they do a lot of customization and, and programming. And they yeah. have names like BPO. I don't even know what the, the acronym is. Acronyms I don't know. I'm not familiar with. You know, they have their own language and culture, just like mm-hmm. we kind of do in our world. But it's teams of people. You meet them and like, oh yeah, I have a team of forty, and all we do is manage like migrations to NetSuite. Yep. Yep. And it's just a different world. And and I'm th- I, I kind of feel like how are how are firms that are just only built on QuickBooks or Zero supposed to get into that space? Because you're going to have to hire and maybe an engineer, an IT guy, bookkeepers, and accountants that know that software. So it's just kind of an interesting uh, dilemma, I think. Yep. And then the third thing for me is. They have this amazing thing called the uh, data warehouse. So if you think about it, you'll have your data in the accounting system, but then imagine having just like a second garage. You just put anything you want in there. Like here's all the weather for the year. Here's some names that came in off a webinar idea I did. Uh, uh, Google Analytics. Sales. They used uh, Google Analytics. Yeah, Google Analytics, right? And they all can go in a warehouse and you can really slice and dice your data. And they were talking about how important this was because every business in the pandemic had to become an everything business. You're selling direct to consumer. You're still at B2B. You possibly are um, doing uh, omni-channel and doing stuff online now. You're doing brick and mortar. You're delivering food if you're a restaurant. You have all these different ways you're selling now and you're in everything business and it's very hard to get one big picture of your numbers. And it kind of makes me sad because I look at that and it's only going to be really available to bigger businesses. Like who... The need is the same, I would argue, right? Like a small business owner in the QuickBooks or Zero world is going to have just as complex of a business, but price-wise, they're not going to be able to go up market and have this ama- like something like a data warehouse. Well, that's the opportunity, I think, for us accountants is become NetSuite partners, look at that program, and then get access to the GL, get the clients that are growing onto that, potentially look at it. And then you have access to these analytics tools, these data warehouse tools that are really, really good because of this Oracle acquisition. I mean, it's top notch. And some of the, we can't show it on the podcast, but some of the analytics that we saw in the keynote, the way that you can pivot data and do stuff that's even more advanced than in Excel inside of NetSuite and inside of this data warehouse analytics tool just really amazing. Like if, if, if you want, like you said, David, an example is you want to bring in all of the weather data from the, for the whole country and then compare that to your sales data over time and like, see if there's trends, you could do that. And it does, it could be any type of custom data, like really, really interesting stuff. So you're not having to use a separate business intelligence tool. That to me is like the real power of a system like NetSuite. It's, it's getting all that data financial, operational workforce all in one place. So then you can make sense of it. But, but it yeah, has a cost though. It has but a the cost. cost is not clear. <laughs> Every, and the, it's very it's, an, it's expensive enough where nobody actually puts prices up anywhere. That was the the big game. Every booth I went to, people would say, oh yeah, we work with QuickBooks. And then I'd say, how much do you cost? And they're like, ah, oh, 1500 bucks a month. I'm like, you don't work with QuickBooks. It's too expensive. <laughs> This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Baco Tech. Baco Tech is a cloud solution that puts CPAs in the middle of their clients' data by becoming the hub to manage all their clients' information in one single place. 
Bakotech gathers clients' data from accounting systems like QuickBooks, Zero, and Sage and delivers it to CPAs in real time, enabling CPAs to make adjustments to tax returns and address client accounting issues as they happen, not after year-end. Then, year-end, CPAs can instantly and seamlessly integrate that tax-ready data into their preferred tax or accounting firm software like Drake, Vassert, UltraTax, CCH, Access, and ProSystemFX. This allows your firm to plan and prepare for tax returns throughout the year and allows you to proactively offer advisory services for all your clients instead of reactive planning services after year-end. To learn more about Baco Tech and to take advantage of their special two-month extended trial just by mentioning that you listen to the Cloud Accounting Podcast during your demo, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Baco. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash B-A-C-O. Well, and you're talking about the folks in the expo hall. Oh, expo hall. And, and there were uh, a lot of vendors at the expo hall, other apps that plug into NetSuite. So that was familiar to any of us that go to a QB connector at ZeroCon. You, you see a lot of vendors now. Now, here was, there was something that was interesting that you observed, David. No payroll companies in the expo hall. Not a single one. No gusto, no ADP, no paychecks, no, none of that. And the question is why? Why would that be the case? Well, they weren't invited, is what I assume, right? And why weren't they invited? It's because NetSuite has sweet people. They have their own payroll system. And they were promoting it pretty heavily, the improvements they've made to it at the conference. And and so this gets to the whole discussion about how do you get the benefit of this ecosystem of apps that plug into an accounting system or a GL or a database, but also play nice with them. Because there, there's there's two things that seem to be in conflict at NetSuite. You've got the desire to create a system that does everything. That's the suite. Evan Goldberg started out 20 years ago trying to create an app that can do everything for a business. But then you also have this community of app partners and developers that are plugging into it. So who gets excluded? Who gets brought in? So all the expo hall vendors were like accounts payable, payments, It was very overly heavy accounts payable. And coincidentally, NetSuite announced that they're going to have bill scanning and bill pay built in. So next year, are all these guys done? They don't get to come? That's the question, right? Like, are they going to allow Bill.com to be there, Topalti, TeamPay? What about the, the, the AR companies that were there doing invoicing? They had three or four yeah. like Dex-type products, but they're like way high-volume type products. They had those that are $1,500, $1,600 a month. Um, Expense management, a yeah. Expensify. So the big announcement, which you, know, you, you just teased there, is that NetSuite is building something they're calling Suite Banking. And it's huge. It's accounts payable automation, it's accounts receivable automation, it's the bill scanning, it's the payments. They've partnered with a bank to do the actual movement of money. They're going to have direct bank feeds into the accounting system, the accounting module in NetSuite, and they're going to do expense management and I think even more stuff. So it's like all the stuff that the Expo Hall people are doing. Yeah, so like are they going to be allowed to go? Or is NetSuite eventually just going to be it, one app? Because there's no timesheet apps either. 
because they have, you know, time tracking and time pocket tracking. Yeah. Um, and Were there actually, any inventory apps? There was no um, shopping cart or e-commerce apps or shop app because they offer their own e-commerce shopping cart store yeah. as well, front end. I didn't, yeah. And, and until you pointed that out, I didn't really notice it. I was like, and there just, was no just inventory felt... apps. There were apps to do like shipping of goods, but there was no inventory apps. And there was apps for like pick list and actually inside the warehouse, but not truly like a inventory app. So yeah, I, I, my money and the trend would be you will not see players like Bill.com, uh, Expensify, Brex there next year. That would be my bet. And that, in my opinion, would be a big mistake because it's a closed ecosystem. It's a closed ecosystem. And we have seen personally the power of an open ecosystem over the last 10 years with zero innovating it. And David, you. I mean, QuickBooks. I mean, the, the, yeah. the, the fact that like Gusto exists, a lot of it has to do with they were Zen payroll. And there was a big, when I launched them on the QuickBooks App Store, like that was really hard for Intuit to be okay with because you're either an open platform or you're not. And then that opened the door, then ADP and everybody else yep. got on the QuickBooks app store. So, so that's my big fear, I suppose, or, you know, I would worry about that if I were a NetSuite customer is that Oracle NetSuite's going to build everything and then they're going to shut off these other partners. And well, I don't think they shut them off, right? They just don't let you get the don't. prime real estate anymore. Like you can still use another payroll product with NetSuite, you just don't get to be a front and center at a conference. Well, like I, I just came from Giraffe. I was working at Giraffe and we were an FP&A solution. We plugged into NetSuite, but we weren't allowed to be at Suite World. We weren't allowed to exhibit there because Oracle has a budgeting and forecasting solution that integrates with NetSuite and they promote that. And I understood the reason was because the enterprise sales folks at Oracle want to sell their thing. They don't want to. They don't want us to take deals from them. But like that, to me, is a short-sighted view, and it's one of the reasons I, I just like really dislike enterprise salespeople <laughs> because it's not what's good for the customer. What would be good for the customer is all the apps that integrate with NetSuite can come, and you can choose. You can choose if you want to use the built-in functionality, or you can choose if you want to use something else. Whatever meets your needs. And, and you know, philosophically, I just don't think that it's possible to build a suite that can do everything for every kind of business. And NetSuite says that any kind of business can be on NetSuite. Like, I mean, QuickBooks idea- Desktop tried this, right? They built 30 years of features and they're still not done. Like, right? it, like it's impossible. It's, you'll, you, you can't build everything. So I wonder, it's really impressive what Evan Goldberg has done. He set out to build an app that can do everything. And it does a lot, but it has taken 20 years and they still just released bank feeds or yeah, bank feeds and bank, bank feeds, reconciliations. Overtime calculations, right? Some of yeah. these things were like, wow, you just now are putting that in the product. Right. But like at the stuff same time, that they had wow for... us with the data warehouse. So I think it's a never ending quest. Like, and I think this all in one app that can rule them all. Yeah. Maybe you can do that like with Oracle Fusion way up market Fortune 500. You can just do that. You can build everything. But like in the mid-market small business, you're never going to be able to serve everyone well with a closed ecosystem or a closed API where, you know, it's all in one. Like it's just, I philosophically, I think dis- I disagree with that. And I, I really think that NetSuite would be better served focusing on like the value that they really create 
And by the way, I didn't meet a single customer who uses the whole suite. You know, it's it mostly like the folks using financials and the analytics. Well, that's with everything, right? And inventory. Microsoft Word, you only use like three features or Excel, right? Right. It's kind of yeah. like everything. So, so. Uh, but, you know, it's a really, really powerful tool. Like the stuff that people love about it is, you know, you've got this GL and this inventory system, and that's what they built first. And that's what, what's really powerful, that you can operate globally with 50 entities. And, and everybody all on it seems happy. Like yeah, I didn't yeah. see anybody complaining. I mean, other than price, but. But, but you pointed really out. Complained. You pointed out like with sweet people, you know, they're only processing like, what three, three they bi- process three billion in payroll which compare that to what well, quickbooks i think does a billion a week they have 12 million employees and god knows how much adp does right 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 yeah so it's like it's small and t- to actually build the suite that does everything and does it really well it's just going to take you the rest of your life right it'll take and, and by then we'll have i don't know maybe there'll be something else that <laughs> like with QuickBooks Desktop, right? They never even finished QuickBooks Desktop and then online came along, right? Yeah. That was fascinating. And it was really great. And I'm, I'm grateful that we got to go and, and do those interviews and be media. So it was a well done first class conference. And we should talk a little about their COVID protocols because Vegas, last time we were in Vegas for the AICPA, there was no mask. And then the CDC started that week and making those announcements. And by the time we left the conference, people had masks on. And now Vegas is 100% masked up. And not only that, Oracle or NetSuite, what they had everybody do at Sweet World is you had to get the app, clear app, upload an image of your vaccine card and take a survey every day to show that you did not have COVID, basically. Yeah, it's an app called Clear. I think it's the same company that it's the does same those, airport. Yeah, at the airports. The lines at the airport. Yeah, and, and I had to like scan my face. They compared that to the driver's license to verify my ID. And then I uploaded my vaccine cards, answer a survey. I felt very comfortable being there. It was really well done in that. The venue was nice. It's a brand new um, facility. Little tip for everybody: the Caesars Forum Convention Center is not actually connected to Caesars. It's a good mile walk, so just (laughs) be aware. So so the hotel for the conference was Caesars Palace, and I walked over to the convention center or the conference center at Caesars, thinking that's where it was because that's where it always is, right? No, they were at NetSuite Suite World was at Caesars Forum, which is across the strip. So it was like a good twenty minute walk. Every day, which, you know, I was complaining a lot because I was carrying my podcast equipment, (laughs) our podcast equipment all the way every day. And I didn't bring the wheeled bag. That was a mistake. But we got it done. You know, my back stopped hurting. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rippling. Rippling is more than payroll. And now that most employees are working remotely, your clients need more than just payroll. They need payroll, HR, benefits, and IT all working together in an all-in-one modern, flexible system. By using Rippling, when you add a new employee to payroll, you're simultaneously enrolling them in benefits, instantly setting up their email, and even sending them a computer preloaded with all the software and apps they need to do their job. Imagine how impressed your clients will be when this only takes 90 seconds. Right now, I'm sure most of you are doing just payroll, but with Rippling, you'll be able to expand the advisory work that you are offering your clients. Rippling offers a client dashboard, dedicated accountant support, and white glove migrations from other just payroll systems, as well as accountants' custom discounts on Rippling for their clients. To learn more how you can evolve your client advisory services beyond bookkeeping and just payroll, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Rippling. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-I-P-P-L-I-N-G. 
And as a bonus, for the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, Rippling is offering a $100 Amazon gift card for any listener that attends a demo. Rippling, everything your clients need. So there's one more thing I think I want you to speak to before we, and then we can stop talking about uh, Sweet World. Sure. the keynote. Kevin O'Leary was yes. there, and oh. he said three things that every one of our listeners needs to hear, and I'll let you take it. Kevin O'Leary, man, I, I thought he was just like a TV personality, and I don't watch Shark, Shark Tank all that much, so I kind of think, oh, this, you know, he's whatever, he's an investor on TV. No, he's legit. And he came out, and he gave a 20-minute talk about two of his portfolio companies and what happened to them during the pandemic as an example of how the pandemic has changed retail. And he does a lot of consumer products. That's something that he tends to invest in a lot. And the big takeaway for him was they all pivoted. The ones, the ones who survived pivoted to direct to consumer. And one of the great benefits of that for them was now they have all this data. Everything was about data at Sweet World. Data is the new oil, he said. That's not a quote that he came up with. It's not something he said I first. I think that was Mark he, years ago. Yeah, I thought that was Software Eats the World, but maybe he also said data is new oil. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, he was saying that this customer data is really incredibly valuable when you're direct to customer and not going through retail chains. And then he also said, and this is what you were talking about, David, the three things that you must do if you want to get funding. Number one, you must be able to communicate the value of what you are building in 90 seconds or less. That's the elevator pitch. You have to be able to say it in 90 seconds or less, and it needs to be coherent. It needs to be persuasive. Number one, accounting and bookkeeping podcast in the world. <laughs> exactly, right? And we talk about accounting and technology every week, so you don't have to go read all those articles. You, you did a good job with that, David. So 90 seconds. Number two is... You need to be a convincing operator. That means you need to have a track record, a proven track record of building, growing businesses. It's so, like execution skills, right? Ex yeah. That's another, I, I'm not sure I'm saying exactly what he said, but that's how yeah. I took it. So you worked in a big company and you led a product launch or you had a startup before and yes, it failed, but you were able to get it to this point. Something that shows that they can trust that you'll deliver because, you know, an idea is cheap actually executing on it is difficult. And the last thing he said was my favorite thing as an accountant, know your numbers. And he said, if you don't know your numbers, when you get into the shark tank and they start asking you, or you lie, you don't give them the right numbers, or you don't know the numbers, they will just rip you to shreds. Because how can you run a business? How can you understand your business model if you don't know your numbers? Like cost to acquire a customer, that sort of thing, right? The, the basic metrics that you need to know. Or what is your COGS? Like there are a surprising number of businesses that get on Shark Tank that don't actually know what their revenue and expenses are. So he said, know your numbers. And he, he, he even said, uh, if you don't know your numbers, I will personally send you to hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> that was good. Yeah. So that was, that was really uh, a great keynote. I was just so surprised. And I really got a lot out of that. I think that's it for the, that's it for the uh, sweet world. Should we move on to other app news? Yeah. Maybe you can clarify something for me before we get into app news. Okay. So, I, you know, as we were heads down and we were at the conference enjoying ourselves, right? <laughs> Being press, 
all these press articles were popping up with these really dramatic headlines. Like this is from Fox News 13 in Florida or Tampa, Florida, the federal government to ask for taxes on app transactions over $600. And another, oh, yes, one, yes. another headline was new rules <laughs> taxing businesses using PayPal and Venmo in 2022. IRS bank account reporting proposals get revised. Here's the newest version. Opposition grows to IRS bank reporting proposal. There's like very fear-driven headlines. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Blake will just sum this up for me. <laughs> I need to, should I well, be scared by all this? Like they're really obviously going – like this is a massive media campaign anti this – it's so, a Biden so proposal the, basically, right? Well, so there there is a proposal being floated around, but it's not a formal proposal yet. And there's a ton of misinformation because nobody really knows what the proposal is. And there's different people saying different things. So it's stupid because here we are arguing about this information reporting proposal that's not really a proposal yet. And nobody really knows what it's going to be. So I think we should just wait. (laughs) But here's what it's not. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you this. It's not we're going to report every transaction over $600 to the IRS because that would be insane. It would be nuts. That would and never I'm happen. Guessing you're not going to pay tax on every single transaction over six hundred dollars <laughs> because you file a return where it all your expenses come out and you pay like a business would pay. Yeah, I, I don't know what the specific proposal is at this point in time, but the idea was originally, as I understand it, to add a box on the bank ten ninety nine. I don't. There's this form that banks have to provide to the IRS for interest income if it's over ten dollars. They have to report that you got over $10 in interest income. So they, they're already doing this. And the idea was add a box that shows your net inflows and outflows. So maybe it would be two boxes. Net inflows and outflows for the year if it's over a certain threshold. And that threshold was idiotically proposed to be $600, probably because that's like the 1099 threshold, 1099 miss threshold. Yeah. And so you know, that, then the banks basically got in this game of, uh, lobbying. And they went out to their customers and told them all of this stuff. It all got in a giant game of telephone. So it got changed into now it's every transaction. And now everyone in the country is going to have all of their bank information sent to the IRS. And but, how dare they? But the and spirit not- of this is if you're just a W-2 employee, the government can kind of reconcile what's on your taxes versus what your W-2 says. And if you're somebody who only gets 1099s, they can kind of do the same thing. But if you're somebody that is just a self, you have your own business and you're depositing money in your bank account, they can't really, they can only take your tax return. They can't really reconcile it against anything. And the hope, the spirit of this is that, right? So they can reconcile this against some deposit number somewhere. Yeah. So when you get audited, which is very rare, but if you get audited, they request your bank statements and then they look at how much cash went in, how much cash went out. And they try to compare that roughly to how much income you reported. If it's way off, then they'll dig in deeper. That's one of the ways that they go about it. So I think this was an idea to uh, automate that portion of it and then go after the people who have tons of cash going in, not a lot of cash going out, who had very little reported tax and then look into that further because there's a ton of tax evasion that goes on because- I mean, imagine if people didn't have W-2s. If there was no W-2 reporting, David, how many workers do you think would cheat on their taxes? Oh, your taxes would be, yes, exactly. <laughs> right? People all the time. Like, oh, I'll gladly, oh, audit rates are only 1%. I will happily not file. I'll take a zero off of my income for sure, yes. <laughs> right? Total digit. Like, 
Yeah. So, you know, that's what the spirit of this was. But of course, you know, we're, we're in this political game now. So I, I would say actually, whatever, however you feel about it, just ignore it for now. Ignore the headlines. It, okay. Yeah. Until it's a proposal, it's not, it doesn't mean anything until it's like a real proposal anyway. Got it. And that's um, it. I, I only have app news. So if you have something <laughs> that's not app news, you can jump in. No. Well, let's get back into app news because we were already there talking about Sweet World. That's true. But now we can play the theme music. You want to kick things off? Yeah. I don't even know where to, to start. I feel like all the big payments guys are doing stuff. We could start with the easiest one, I guess, would be uh, Plaid. What's going on over so, at our Plaid friends? So Plaid kind of more or less announced they are going to build a payments ecosystem. And they're going to work with Checkout.com and Marketo. So Checkout.com does kind of a e-commerce shopping cart. It's similar to like a Stripe. And then Marketa, I think they do like money, money transfers, and they do a lot of virtual card type stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're partnering with them. And then because basically what they do is if you have Plaid, if you and I both have, we connect our bank accounts on Plaid. You connect your bank account on Plaid. I connect my bank account on Plaid. Bank account can see our balances. Plaid can de- make deposits and withdrawals out of your bank account, and they can do it out of mine. Well, the next step is, David, why can't you just pay Blake? Right. And they, which is, this is very, very, very disruptive. It's a major announcement. It's a major step. Um, it's a little scary that Pla- Plaid owes every, owns everything, but we'll talk because Stripe also had an announcement and so does PayPal and so does QuickBooks in this space. So, so you're saying this is a big deal that Plaid is going to do payments. And is this a big deal because they already have access to our we're already authorizing them to do bank feeds. So. I think it's a big deal on lots of fronts, right? It's a big deal because they just have all our money. I mean, our, our data. You know, they already have mm-hmm. that from a consumer standpoint. But you know, one of their partners, Diwala, uses them, and Diwala helped businesses save five million dollars in credit card fees by basically using ACH and the rails like that. And now they're working in the the UK with open banking, and you know, they're bypassing. They're really, it's just another bypass of the traditional credit card systems. So clients prefer tech-savvy accountants. I knew this, but now the data backs me up. This is a survey by Canopy. They pulled 1,001 small businesses and found that 78% of small business owners would consider changing their accountant to one who is using the latest technology. They also found that 63% admitted that their current accountant doesn't offer an online portal. 63%, their current accountant doesn't have an online portal. I wonder how they're getting documents to them. 56% said they viewed an online portal as an important feature. So more than half aren't getting an online portal, and then also more than half say it's important. More than two-thirds of the respondents said they would be interested in switching to an accountant that allows them to take photos of their documents for easy sharing. So if you are not doing client portal stuff, I think it's kind of important to do that now. The stat in that article, Blake, that I thought was interesting was at the very end. And it talks about, it really lays this out against size of business. So businesses between one and five employees, only 29% of accountants that service that market allow uploading of documents. Wait, so it's even lower? Yeah, it's businesses with six to 10 people their accountants and bookkeepers, about uh, 68% support them through up, uploading documents. And businesses with 11 to 50 employees, 69% of accountants and bookkeepers that serve those types of businesses. Mm. So 
if you don't offer these services, you're probably going to only build a service. The lower end. Lower end of the market. Exactly. Yeah. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Client Hub. Do you struggle to get answers from clients? Is it a chore reminding your clients to send over the information you need to do your job? Introducing Client Hub, an award-winning practice management solution for accountants looking to build better client relationships for a more profitable firm. Client Hub's all-in-one solution combines task management with client communication in one place, meaning you get what you need from clients to unblock workflow and get jobs completed on time. Your clients will love the easy-to-use Client Hub web portal and mobile app. Your team will love Client Hub's automated task management. Each month, Client Hub tasks your clients with whatever you need from them. You can even automatically ask your clients about uncategorized QuickBooks transactions. With Client Hub, tasks and messages are in one place, keeping your staff and clients always in the loop. Nothing falls through the cracks. Client Hub currently has an amazing offer just for our listeners. 25% off your first three months by using promo code CAP25. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash client hub. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. So zero, and I don't usually cover the zero news here. Zero is making it easier to upload documents from your clients through their Zero Me app. So are you familiar with the Zero Me app? Zero Me, no. Is mobile app? So Zero Me is the mobile app for employees in Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. And they can oh, submit okay. their time seat, sheets, manage their leave request, you know, check their pay stubs, right? Mm-hmm. Through the app. And there was a separate app called Zero Expenses. And essentially that was probably a version maybe of HubDocs, take a photo of a expense re- report type software. Mm-hmm. They're integrating that into the zero me. So now an employee has the full stack. Nice. Right? Because you can submit your expense reports so, in the same app. You're doing your pay stubs in. You don't have to install a second app. And that's a, so they're basically going to probably, probably deprecate zero expenses available because they want to move everybody over to zero me, I'm sure, because you want to get them on your payroll and everything else. But we don't have zero me yet in the U.S. That's correct. It's not in the U.S. because oh. the, f- the base features of that are timesheets and payroll. <laughs> Which so they have payroll in the yeah. US. There's no payroll. Pro- well, their payroll product is Gusto, basically. Oh, well, we should speak about Gusto. So Gusto had a event for accountants this week. It was actually yesterday, on Thursday. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to watch too much of it. I'm hoping to catch the replay. They also released a survey that I caught on their website about people advisory. People Advisory is this campaign that Gusto has been running, working on explaining to accountants how they can add advisory services around payroll and HR into their CAS practices, into their outsourced accounting and bookkeeping practices. And there's some really interesting data in the survey that they released. Did you know that 41% of employers would pay their accountants more if they offered people advice? And 62% would consider switching to an accountant that provided it. 31% of employers said they need advice on people operations and management. And what is meant by that is stuff like managing a remote workforce, hiring, retention, employee engagement. But as you go up, 
more and more businesses need that. Almost half of businesses with 26 or more employees said they needed advice on people operations and management. And if you serve professional services firms, that is the number one need, which makes a lot of sense given that people are how you make money in a professional services environment. They're very, very important. So some good data supporting this idea that accountants should be offering some form of people advisory, as Gusto calls it. And you know that could be as simple as helping your clients figure out the best way to onboard employees to issue offer letters to make compensation decisions. This is all stuff that a lot of businesses struggle with because they can't hire an in-house HR person. And I know of a number of firms that now have actually licensed HR people in the firm who provide these kind of services. And maybe they provide them on an ad hoc basis or it's bundled into the cast subscription. And just more broadly, a few more stats here. 45% of employers said it's important that their accountant offers business advice in addition to their financial and accounting work. And the amount that employers are willing to pay more for this, 36% said their accountant could charge them 10% more for offering payroll advice to help them stay compliant. So, I mean, think about that. It's a, it, it's a meaningful. Yeah, I saw a so. second announcement about Gusto Next. They made an announcement Gusto did with Practice Ignition. So practice ignition, you know, you get to do your quotes and your billing from your clients. Now they're going to integrate with Gusto. And so right out of the gate, you can, when you go to do your uh, proposals, you'll get templates built within practice ignition and automatically populate with your clients and employee headcounts specifics. And then you can streamline their payroll billing workflows, upsell the other advisory services. It's all going to be built in as an integration to practice ignition from the get-go. Yeah, that's really neat. Like that's that's super cool to be able to just roll that out like that. Uh, one more thing too, they're they're doing a lot of stuff. I got an email because I am a Gusto uh, partner for a client. They are going to start testing mobile device management. So there's an early access program that's starting. You may have gotten an email from the research team, and it will allow you to manage a fleet of laptops remotely from the Gusto dashboard apply security settings and keep laptops up to date with the latest software. So this could be a, it's a people advisory thing, keeping laptops secure. You might think of it as an IT function. It kind of blends over into that. And maybe you could offer that as a service from your firm because it's integrated into Gusto now. I've always they, thought they, that- They, they yeah. uh, demoed that at, on NetSuite as well. The employees can self-onboard and then acquire their hardware they need Ooh. all through- that was kind of their people offering, um, similar to a Rippling type, type play. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Rippling kind of like innovated this, and now other payroll uh, companies are are doing it too because it makes a lot of sense, right? When you hire somebody, you could trigger a whole bunch of other things that happen. So I don't know if you saw Expensify has now announced that they're going to be free. When when I saw the article, I was kind of thinking about this. I was like. Wasn't that as expensive as a re- always play? Hey, we're free until you want to connect it to an accounting system, then you have to pay. So, well, can you explain? It, it? Is it free? Free? Is it not free? <laughs> like, what does this mean now? Is it more free? Yeah, and I never really understood that because I guess yeah, it was free, but then to really like get value out of it, you ended up having to pay. I, I think it was smart because if you were just an employee that needed to make an expense report and send that into your 
you know, corporate finance department, you could do that for free. And so then everybody started creating expense reports and sending them in. The company then would say, oh, we should use this as a company. And then they would start paying per seat. Yep. That was genius. So Expensify has now doubled down on this concept where certain companies can use it completely for free. So, so is this going to be like they're heading down more of that path of the divvies and the Brex and the ramp card, these services that are free, these, these cards. I I think that, I think those apps have forced them to because Brex is free, Divi's free, right? And the way they make money is, well, you you explain it better than me, David. How, how do they make money? (laughs) So the banks or the credit card companies pay you every time somebody charges. On one of your corporate cards that you issue to them. One of the corporate cards, exactly. Got it. So like the credit card rewards that I would normally get, they're going to, or at least a chunk of it is going to Expensify or Divi or Brex. Is that what we're talking about? That little like- I think think it's some of that, but I think there's still, um, there's other- Elbow other fees, yeah. There's other <laughs> Got stuff it. in there. So that, you know, it's like it's there's always this like mystery, you know, fee thing going on in the back end there. So I think that's now that Expensify has cards, which they rolled out, you know, after Brex and Divi and whatnot come to came to market, they're able to do the same thing. So it's this whole move toward like payments and apps in the small business segment be going free because they're making money on payments. Right, everybody wants just a tiny little piece of. That payment volume, which is in the trillions. I mean, it's a march, I mean, right? Melio yeah. is free, right? That's what you guys to do, do at basic money yeah. payment. Um, I think I saw there was a payments app. You and I walked up to talk to the guy. He said, "Hey, we're just like Venmo." It was actually kind of funny because he's like, "He's like, ah, <laughs> it's free, but you have an eight hundred dollar month subscription, and then then the payments are free," which I thought was kind <laughs> of entertaining. But well, it, was, yeah, it was funny because this was at Sweet World, right? Sweet World. And like, but there is a march to free, right? It's happening. Yeah. Yep. Do you want to talk about some of the other? Bigger payments players? You want to talk about some uh, of this? Well, I, everything I in one wanna, tech stack thing. I just want to mention one more thing about Expensify. Oh, yeah. They filed to go public last week. Oh, yeah. Week. I saw that. I forgot yeah. About that. So they, I, I don't know much about the details. I haven't looked into their filings, but they were valued at $143 million in, a, uh, in 2015 when they did a Series C. So they haven't taken money in a long time. And I think it's because they, they had a really good business model. They were able just to be cash flow positive and grow and all that stuff. So we'll wait until they actually IPO to cover that and talk about that. So in that march of, you know, everybody building the top, the full stack, top to bottom, and this really ties back to what we learned about knowing your data. And we talk about these data warehouses, right? Mm-hmm. Clover, well, they're actually owned by a bigger company called Fiserv, F-I-S-E-R-V. They own Clover, the point of sale. And, and like Clover Restaurant Technology Solutions, if you want to call it that, which would be a probably competitor to Toast. They purchased a marketing company called Bento Box, which is uh, it's software to like website building, digital ordering, marketing tools, and apparently now it has some e-commerce as well. So you're looking at Clover trying to compete with Toast to have that full restaurant stack. So they made a purchase of them. And then Sovos, Sovos is a tax compliance software pack company. They purchased a Turkey uh, web-based developer called Digital Planet, who does cloud-based invoicing, receipts, uh, delivery of notes, and then ledger technology. So now you have the compliance guys starting to build the full stack. Speaking of compliance, 
Were you going to mention the Avalara acquisition? Another one? Yeah, another one. Go ahead. And, and <laughs> there's an interesting so, one with that. Go ahead. I'll let you start and see if you pick up the part I thought was interesting. Well, I just saw the headline, Avalara acquires CrowdRaisin to help businesses manage property tax compliance. And this is that march you talk about toward Avalara being the compliance headquarters for everything, starting with sales tax, but also property tax and also business filings and all that stuff you got to do as a business. But what Avalara got in this deal is now they have an advisory service. Like a, a, a real service that's inside of CrowdReason? It, yeah, it was. Uh, it's called Correlation Advisors LLC as part of this deal. Hmm. Um, so I don't you can know like what, call in and get advice about property taxes or something? Hmm. I don't know. But hmm. now, they, now, now they're into the, instead of just compliance, now they're starting down that service path, doing everything. I, who knows, right? If maybe they shut that down, but you think they would have spun that off before they made the acquisition? Well, you know, there's a there's a fine line between service, customer service, and advisory. Yep. And it's always hard to know where that begins and ends. You experienced that in QuickBooks support at the early part of your career, right, David? People would call in with accounting questions. What do you do? Do you, do you actually answer those or you just say, well, I can only tell you about how the software works? Where do you think they invented this account, Ask My Accountant? <laughs> that is the workaround. <laughs> I just put it to this account called Ask My Accountant. Did, now, then David, it eventually just became a feature of QuickBooks. Right? David, who created Ask My Accountant? I want to I want to. I know. think it was just yeah. more of a, you know, an informal man on the street kind of, you would just But there had that. to be somebody. There had to be some meeting. Somebody had to be the first. That's true. Yeah. I, I'm, somebody was like, let's create this default account in the chart of accounts. We'll call it Ask My Accountant. And and they are hated by well, every- some, somewhere, <laughs> but, but before that, it was just, that was the thing you did on the phone. So somewhere right. online, somebody decided just to make it exist in QuickBooks. And I don't know who decided that. But I also don't know it. I know it wasn't me who was, who well, was one of the first tech support people to just say, yeah, throw it to an account called Ask My Accountant. So yeah. That was that's great. A, a workaround to get to get by those confused, you know, when people weren't sure what to do with, you know, that one cent adjustment on the 941 that you spent 45 well, minutes on a phone call with somebody about. Speaking about Avalara and compliance, uh, a sh- shock. I mean, this is why Avalara is growing so well. Um, a shocking number of small businesses are out of compliance with sales tax and cross-border sales tax. And by that, I mean between states, right? After the Wayfair decision back in 2018, states could now tax out-of-state businesses. Only 2.3%, 2.3% of small businesses say that they are all or almost in full compliance with their interstate sales tax issues, which I think comes as no surprise to anybody who handles state and local taxes for clients. It's it's, I almost forgot all about that stuff. I think PPP just shoved that. That, that. that was the big headlines for a long time. Yeah, And then PPP came along and nobody talked about Nexus anymore. Well, it's going to come back because <laughs> where, where are states going to get revenue from? The next time they need revenue, they're going to go after those out-of-state sellers. And it's great to go after them too because they, they don't vote in your state. <laughs> so, you know, It's taxation without representation. It's genius. <laughs> so that's who they go after. There's this chart here from a CPA Trendlines uh, survey, and 2.3% in full compliance or close to it, 12% mostly in full compliance, 39% in some compliance. Almost half are like mostly not or not at all in compliance. (laughs) So 
that's a great opportunity, actually. I, you know, I, I was talking about payroll advisory being a good opportunity for growing your advisory in your firm. Salt is probably even better because something like a third of sales tax audits end in penalties because so many businesses are out of compliance. So you can like use fear as a marketing tactic and get help get folks into compliance and at least aware of what their liability could be. So Stripe made another uh, acquisition. So Stripe purchased a startup reconciliation product called Reco, R-E-C-K-O. Reco. Because, according to this press release, is uh, payments reconciliation, which in an accounting process that uncovers discrepancies, has been complicated by the many nuances of digital transactions. Sorry, your you're going to have to re- read that for me again. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't follow it. And that's just me. Like, that was kind of wordy. What, okay, what it's it a little say? wordy, but the, later on, it actually says what Reco does. Ready? Okay. Yeah. Reco removes the barriers to reconciliation by automating the collection of transaction data from financial systems and matching it to individuals in just a few clicks. So it's basically bank feed accounting, right? It's pulling down the bank feeds and matching it to the deposits. Oh, like credit, massive credit card reconciliation stuff. Well, well just well, yeah. it's bank feeds, right? You're, you connect to the bank, you download the bank feed, and you match it to the transactions in your journal. Stripe has mm-hmm. the transactions here. Rico's going to Reconcile that against the bank. So now it's called Rico or Reco? Reco. I'm sorry. R E C K O. <laughs> R E C K O. Got it. Yeah. So let's take a step back and think about Stripe's recent acquisition journey. And you tell me what it smells like they're building. Okay. okay. Stripe bought revenue. They offer revenue rec. Stripe bought billing. They have Stripe billing, Stripe invoicing. They remember they bought tax jar. For compliance? Sales tax, yeah. Sales tax compliance. They bought, I, forget, I think it was called an account called Payable for 1099 stuff a while back. Now they have the reconciliation. What does it sound? If you have invoicing, billing, revenue rec, reconciliation, 1099s, what are you building? I mean, it sounds like QuickBooks. <laughs> it's an accounting system. <laughs> I know. This is, yeah. it, it's all, it's, it's an interesting march. And you think about it, it's funny how these companies can disrupt each other. Right, because Stripe could get very disrupted by that move Plaid made earlier in the show. Very interesting. Face- <laughs> Facebook launched payments. Uh oh, God, I hate Facebook so much. All right, so okay, Facebook what do do? launched a, a digital wallet called Novi, and they launched it in Guatemala in the U.S. And you could securely send money overseas with no fees. Cool. I think it's over Paxo and Coinbase, but that's just okay. So they're in the news. They launched a, a digital. Wallet, no, no, no. no. I, that's app. that's great. I'm sure that's helpful for people. But, but just, I'm going somewhere know. with this. I swear. Okay. Okay. Intuit introduced an app called Money, Money by QuickBooks. So not my, not Microsoft Money, QuickBooks Money. Yep, QuickBooks. So it's Money by QuickBooks. <laughs> money it's by not QuickBooks. QuickBooks. Okay. It's not QuickBooks self-employed. Okay. Yeah, it's more like QuickBooks Cash, the bank account. And you can request money. You can get money paid to you. You can access the cash through your ATM card. You get your, you get your card just like QuickBooks Cash. You can track income and expenses. And then you can pay bills. You can schedule bills um, you know, anytime. So you have – it's like so, almost like a even smaller version than the QuickBooks self-employed app. So who is this for? I don't know because I remember when they were just started. It was a pro- it wasn't it was launched in the App Store, but they haven't announced it. I downloaded it. I started to sign up, and then they wanted me to get a new. I I was I hit the point in the process where I was like, oh, this isn't going to connect to my QuickBooks Money account. This is a whole new thing. 
You mean it's not going to connect to your QuickBooks self-employed or? No, I have I have a QuickBooks money bank account. But, and QuickBooks. this is called Money by QuickBooks. This is called Money by QuickBooks. Okay. And I thought this was just going to be like a, a different front-end app for me to uh, work with my bank account. This is like a whole separate product. Manage money like a boss. That's the headline. And, and it's a Visa business debit card linked to a credit card, linked to a checking account. And this is really, or, if I'd say, it's like Cash App or PayPal apps or Venmo app, but for really business owners. For business. Right. Interesting. It's it's kind of confusing. <laughs> that the naming's it's not, not good. And, 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 yeah. and, and again, like it, now it's this third stack, right? Because QuickBooks Online Self-Employed is a stack. QuickBooks itself is a stack with its own bank account. And then now you have this, which is a different stack and a different bank account. Yeah. I, it is a little <laughs> bit confusing. You're right. Like hopefully well, the computer one thing is it, come together. It's money by QuickBooks, but then in the frequently asked questions, it says, can I connect my QuickBooks online account to money by QuickBooks? No, these are separate accounts. Even though you may use the same <laughs> sign-in info to access both of them, as of now, you can't connect your shared data between them. Yeah. Why would you even name it by QuickBooks if you can't connect it to QuickBooks? That was my it first, makes, I mean, that was the first question I, I, I asked when um, I, I tried it out. I think I sent an email to a product manager. I was just like, it's not the same card? This is because I thought the idea of having a clean, quick, fast use app would be neat, but we'll, we'll see where this goes. Yeah, they're doing that. And oh, then another app. It also Sim- says, this is interesting, David, one more thing. It also says QuickBooks and Intuit are a technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by our partner, Green Dot Bank. And I wonder if that disclaimer is on there on purpose. I don't know. Well, it has to be, right? Because they don't, you don't want to get a bank license. They all use partners to do this. It's the same thing with the lending, right? All the lending mm-hmm. so you know, yep. partners. And then just one more on this app stuff. So PayPal, they want to be a super app. You want to do everything in one app, top to bottom. Apparently, they're rumored to be in talks to purchase Pinterest. Right? Pin- pay- oh, yeah. I saw. I heard about that. That's so weird. PayPal and Pinterest. Because Pinterest launched e-commerce. Can so I ask you, David? it's not good enough to, to be a payments app. Sorry, I just have oh. to ask you something. I, I started using PayPal, and like we got paid, we got paid by somebody through PayPal on the Cloud Accounting podcast, and they're holding our money. Like, why does anyone use PayPal? Yeah, three hundred dollars. <laughs> it's probably yeah. costing PayPal. Uh, I don't know. It is interesting. <laughs> I, they, they do sit on it longer than they should. I've I've, I've heard that well, from. And many I've people. had clients. I had clients back in the day who like would get $20,000 frozen in their PayPal account and they could never get it. And it's like the customer service was atrocious. Like, why do people still use it? I never understood that. Anyway, just side note. But but they're going, you know, this, where it's the March is, right? These super apps and you need to have, is it the e-commerce? If you're in e-commerce, you need to have payments, but payments better yeah. have some e-commerce. This, this March of these super apps and everything in one app just continues on, Right. Like they're buying this because PayPal by themselves, they now need an e-commerce front end because Shopify has great traction. What if Shopify just has their own payments? All those Shopify shopping carts that probably have a PayPal button, that could go away. Yeah, or you you know, the the default one becomes the Shopify payments and then they have to turn on PayPal and so people just don't use it as much. Yeah, so everybody's just building everything their own app and I really did, I don't know. I feel like the whole pendulum's swinging that way. Um, these super apps, if you want to call them that. And the, I mean, we talked about the with NetSuite wants to be the super app, right? They call it Suite for a reason, right? Yeah, but they, they've been trying to do it for 20 years and they've only gotten like a fraction of the way. Yeah. So, but I, but I always think the pendulum <laughs> swings and right now we're swinging towards that again. And then we'll probably swing back to unbundling again. Well, right? I've always said like the best of both worlds is try to do everything, but still be open. 
don't close it off. Yeah. Like that's, that's stupid. I got one more for us. Do you have anything else? No, I'll go for it. Can I take you out with a story that will warm your heart? Oh, good. Your I thought you were going to upset me. <laughs> the IRS has begun using video conferencing. The pandemic convinced the IRS, large business and international division, that they need to use video conferencing to meet with big companies virtually to resolve their tax issues. This was announced last week by the IRS. It extends a practice that the agency had been using during the pandemic. So obviously they couldn't meet in person, so they started using video conferencing. They've now formalized this. They can use secure video conferencing with the IRS uh, so they don't have to do this stuff in person. They are using WebEx and Zoom for meetings, although Zoom can't be used for exchanging files. And they are planning to phase in Microsoft Teams at the IRS. Internally, the IRS is using Skype and Zoom among IRS and LB&I employees. So is this a press release? It was, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm glad only, only the IRS has done this press release. Could you imagine during the pandemic, every time another big company or accounting firm, like we now do video conferencing and they release a press release about it. Like, I guess it's okay that the IRS is doing it, but it's, it's not – basically, they're the last one to the dance. Well, David – that's all the time we have this week. If people want to get in touch with you online, send you a message. Where can they do that? The easiest way is uh, on all the socials. I'm just at David Leary. I am at Blake T. Oliver. Give us a call. You can leave a message. That number is 202-695-1040. 202-695-1040. We'd love to hear your thoughts about any of the stories on this show or anything else you're thinking about in the world of cloud accounting. We will listen and we will likely play it on the air. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to quickly grow a scalable, systematic seven-figure accounting firm without having to work 50 plus hours per week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Sign around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm. You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation. And you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. Hey, podcast listeners. It's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right, a true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded, because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, Listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.